Hey, welcome to episode 84 of the Thodcast, Conversations About Animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, and I'm joined by three spectacular individuals today on the Thodcast, uh, joining us remotely. First off, it's Hannah Lee Smart. Hey, thanks for coming back to the Thodcast. Hannah, how are you doing? I am doing so good. I'm so ready to talk about Cruella, um, one of the most underrated, in my opinion, Disney villains. So I'm so glad she got her big moment, just like Maleficent. I think it's been a long time coming. Yeah, some symmetry here, definitely to dive into. Also joining as well as Jody Pulaski. Hey, Jody, thanks for coming on, uh, you know, it's, it seems like it's been a while. I don't know yeah. if I'm mistaken. It's, it's yeah. been like a hot minute, 101 Dalmatian minutes. Uh, but I'm here now. And by here, I mean, I'm in North Dakota sitting next to a dog park trying to get Wi-Fi so I can be part of our big day. Because like, I'm obsessed <laughs> with this movie and I didn't want to miss it for the world. And I was trying to think of dog puns to really kick it off right, but I can't. So happy to be here and I'll keep trying to think of my big puns. No, you killed it. <laughs> and uh, yes, we have a new co-host to the Thodcast joining us today. Please welcome Heather Coy. Hey, Heather, how are you doing? Hey, um, I'm really excited to be here. Longtime listener and excited to finally join in and get to talk about um, some movies, especially this one that I've been looking forward to uh, for a really long time. So thanks for having me. It's a little D23 reunion. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's where I first heard about the movie. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't recall really much publicity from D23 regarding this, but there probably was a panel. I, I didn't attend it. Oh, there was like a whole big live action to do, you know, the, the big room panel or whatever that was hard to get into. Did, did any of you rem see any of that, like the press conference stuff related to this film? I didn't. And I didn't even get to see I didn't even get to see any like real trailers for it because by the time it was being advertised like I wasn't going to movies anymore and this is like one of the first movies I've seen back in theaters since the big pandemic even though the pandemic's still happening yeah um the film is of course Disney's Cruella from this year new release uh, in theaters and on Disney plus via premium access uh, I did not see it in theaters. Uh, so, Jody, you saw it in theaters. Hannah, Heather, um, wh whoever. Uh, Hannah, did you see it in theaters? Nope. Saw it on my laptop with my grandma. Okay. How about you, Heather? Uh, I watched it on Disney+. Plus. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I've seen it once, but... Yeah, I, I don't uh, think any of... I don't think any of our theaters around here were showing it, so... Huh. Um, it... Are you're in Georgia, right, Heather? Yes. Okay. Uh, things been fairly open back up there. Yeah, everything's opening back up. I know they showed uh, Raya in the theater down here, but I didn't see anywhere that was showing Cruella, so I don't know if it was just like a weird thing or if I just looked on the wrong day or what. Honestly, you guys dodged yeah. a bullet by not seeing it in theaters. Like, granted, I'm in Grand Forks, so it was just me and my dad, like sitting there, vaccinated style, <laughs> like sharing a bunch of crunch. But like the the music scenes, like and the flashing strobe lights, like he almost had a seizure, and like I think watching it on the little screen is just as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. The last movie I saw in a theater was maybe Godzilla versus Kong. Um, 
just for the fun of it. I, I wanted to see kind of the spectacle again of going to movie, even though I could have watched it at home on HBO Max. Um, so I, I have been a little slow. I think the last movie I saw in theaters was Toy Story 4, like way back before the pandemic. <laughs> a yeah, long time ago. <laughs> Frozen two or something. Jody and Misty dragged me to in Houston. I don't remember what movie it was. I think it was Frozen two. Like I don't go to the movie theater. Yeah, okay. Hannah, you or Heather, you didn't see Frozen two in a movie theater. <laughs> That's okay I if did. you didn't. I, did it come out after Toy Story four? Uh, did it? I well, okay. So Frozen was twenty nineteen, right? And then, uh, um, pretty much. They were pretty close. I saw both of them in theaters, so she might be right. I don't know. Like, that might be flip-flop. It was either Toy Story 4 or, like, Birds of Prey. One of those two. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, COVID came pretty soon after um, Frozen 2, right? Because uh, Frozen 2 is 2019. Um, yeah, that would have been Thanksgiving. Yeah. 2019. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a few months afterwards that things kind of shut down toy story 4 well okay so toy story 4 was the summer of 2019 i couldn't remember oh. if those were the well, same year so i just got my dates mixed up my bad yeah, i did no. see frozen too <laughs> we've all been stuck at home for like a year like times. he doesn't need to know like <laughs> she's close enough yeah no i have seen films post pandemic and i actually saw tenet in a theater up here in northern minnesota uh, you know, during, you know, I was in what, July, August, whenever that movie came out. Um, so I haven't been too, you know, distant from that, uh, especially where it's, you know, it's pretty rural where I live. Um, but yeah, it's a, it was nice to just kind of watch this in the comfort of my own basement on the entertainment center and take, you know, be able to pause and take notes and things while watching. Cruella, uh, this new movie starring Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, Battle of the Two Emmas, and uh, Paul Walter Hauser, Mark Strong, to name a few other uh, members of the cast. Um, Hannah, uh, I'll throw it out to you first. Like, what what do you think of this film? How did it hold up as a uh, you know continuation of the legacy of the character Cruella? So I lived for the 101 Dalmatians. That is like the Glenn Close version. Mm. Um, so I think that she was a very different character. Um, I was actually pretty shocked when they cast Emma Stone because there's so many like British actresses that could have done just as much like manic and comedic timing like Emily Blunt or like Helena Bonham Carter or there's just so many even like I don't know, they could have used Glenn Close again because Cruella doesn't need to be super young. Like they could have had two kind of flip-flop that. Mm. Um, so I, I was I was shocked at the casting, but I guess I was like pleasantly surprised that it was good. Um, to be honest, I'm always like riding the fence with Emma Stone mm -hmm. acting wise because I think sometimes she just like doesn't live up to my expectations of like certain movies. And like, mm -hmm. obviously she's like Academy Award winning at this point. So um, I think she won. Um, so she's pretty notable. I just, she's usually not my cup of tea. I think the movie was really cool. I love a backstory. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. 
I do think um, kind of like my biggest thing that didn't really shock me, I guess, um, is I don't actually think in my brain that I think Cruella kind of came out as the character that stole the show to me. I think Emma Thompson, this was honestly, and she is so reputable, had so many amazing roles. Um, this role for her, I think, was truly one of the best I've seen her in, and she really stole the show for me. Well, Emma Stone won Best Performance uh, by an actress. Yeah, it was for La La Land, right? Yeah, Best Actress in, for La La Land in 2016. Um, yeah, she was nominated for Supporting Actress twice, Birdman and The Favorite, and neither of those were, um, you know, so she has an Oscar Mm-hmm. Thompson, um, does she, man, she has to have an Oscar. Emma Thompson is in like a bajillion things. She's she's has to have she's, something. She's won she's two Oscars. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wait, she for sure had. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, this is very similar in the vein of like Maleficent, where you have this villain character from a classic, um, not so much a fairy tale in this case, but. Disney animated film that um, you know is portrayed in a different way, and we can get more into how they sort of spin that villain archetype um, into I don't know, basically just Cruella Deville being a straight up protagonist in this film, matched against the strict antagonist in The Baroness, played by Emma Thompson. Um, so yeah, I know. Um, Heather, what were your impressions of Cruella overall? Um, kind of the same as Hannah. When I first heard that Emma Stone was cast as Cruella, I, I was kind of like, that is not who I would expect to be cast as Cruella, like in any universe. Um, so I was pretty skeptical about it. Um, but I was still excited that like Cruella was getting her own movie, especially I, I really liked the Maleficent movie. So I was like, yeah, I would love to he- hear more like a backstory behind like some like one of the most famous female Disney villains. Um, and I, I ended up really liking um, Emma Stone as Cruella, but as a whole, I kind of think like the opposite of Maleficent where like Maleficent showed a backstory, like it showed Maleficent when she was younger, but then it also showed like her side of the story while Sleeping Beauty was happening. Whereas this showed like strictly before what the events of 101 Dalmatians and it didn't really connect the two. In, in my mind, I guess, like that was that was yeah. the only thing that bugged me. So I kind of saw it as its own like one off story. Like it could have yeah. been not about Cruella at all. And just like two random homicidal fashion designers. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually um, so smart. But I still really liked it. And I get that they're like where they were coming from. Um, it just like there were a few strings that needed to be like that were left untied for me that I was like, this doesn't really connect to how I see as a character um yeah. so i kind of see it as like an alternate version i guess yeah uh, people will come into these types of films you know that connect to some sort of pre-existing you know in intellectual property from disney um whether it's one of the direct remakes of an animated film or sort of these reimaginings that they do um and yeah we it's it's hard to come into these with an open mind necessarily or um 
any preconceptions at all. Um, however, the reason these movies get made is because of that recognizable element. So it's it's sort of a double-edged sword of yeah. Uh, yeah, coming in fresh versus being enticed to even enter into this experience in the first place if it's not a character that you know is unfamiliar or that is familiar yeah um Um, I mean ultimately I was like I was thoroughly entertained and I really enjoyed the movie I just as far as how it goes for an origin story like it left a lot to be desired for me as as an origin story as as a movie in general it was great but yeah Jody yeah I liked it I liked this style I like this time period I like the punk rock type movement of the 70s that -hmm. to me is like very cool and I mean I've seen a lot of people comparing this movie to some Harley Quinn vibes a little bit of Devil Wears Prada I'm fans of those uh, types of movies so for me this was great I will say like along the vein of what Heather just said I wish there was some more like connections to the original like I was I saw a few of them, but as a Disney fan and like as a 101 Dalmatians fan, I was hoping they'd throw in a little bit more of like of a connection. But as a film, I thought it was like pretty glorious and I, I enjoyed it. I hope to see it again, which I don't always say after watching a movie. Yeah, this uh, movie revolves heavily around fashion and clothing and it's a fascinating subject. Of course, the art and production design of this film is sort of taking center stage here. And I appreciated a lot of the visual aesthetic chosen for this. It was, you know, it didn't rely on CG overly, um, especially with the environments. Like it didn't feel like a fake world. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know. It's like the a, dogs. The dogs, but <laughs> the world too can feel like you're in sort of a, you know, hermetically sealed, you know, soundstage with some of these um, live action Disney films like Dumbo, for example, you know, by, by Tim Burton, just there's a lot of CGI used with the environments and like the, the carnival settings and then the circus and things like that. Whereas this, even though it's, it's a period piece with a lot of um, imagery that, you know, had to be sort of recreated um, or, or, um, sort of imitated to look like 1970s like probably late 70s uh, era London uh, I, they did a, re- a really good job of grounding it in in reality I thought and they did shoot in London for the most part um, and uh, I should mention the costumes were designed by uh, Jenny uh, I might butcher this Baven Beaven B-E-A-V-A-N I think it's Beaven. Beaven. I'm not totally yeah. sure, but she, she did like um we talked about her in college just a smidge because she did like Mad Max or something. Mm. Yes. So that was like really notable. And then um there was so many costumes in this movie, to be honest. That was something that I was originally gonna like text Philip about when I was watching the movie, is like there are so many costume changes in this movie. Yeah, that deserve that lady like deserves like the or man, I don't know what 
if it's a man or a woman, yeah. but that person like deserves all the big rewards because the costumes were like jaw dropping. Like you kind of felt like you just like were at a fashion show slash concert because like don't even get me started on the million dollar billion dollar soundtrack that went along with the costumes. It was so cool. <laughs> There's that I the CGI wasn't too obvious here, except for some of the, you know, the dog characters and things like that. Um, and maybe part of that was just they blew all their money on the soundtrack that there wasn't quite as much to go crazy with the CGI, thankfully. <laughs> uh, no, no crazy, like weird camera, you know, zooms around the London landscape or anything like that. Um, I actually really liked the aesthetic of the movie mm -hmm. I thought that was really in character yeah I thought it kind of felt like a Vogue shoot during certain points of it like with the different like lighting and like the way that people were standing almost like in an artistic like modely type of way I don't really know all the correct words to describe how it goes but it was really glam and bold with that rock inspired stuff yeah like it seemed high end yeah and that was cool and the script I mean I mean, we're kind of like jumping from like the looks to this and that, but the script like tying into that too just made it like, to me really like a perfect execution of this sinister like side story. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and director Craig Gillespie, um, he previously did um, I, Tanya. Um, oh my gosh, I loved that movie. Love, love. Yeah. That's Margie, Mar Margot Robbie. Yes. Yep. He chose uh, Jenny Beaven for, you know, her work that that did win an Oscar for Mad Max Fury Road. Um, mm -hmm. I think so. that's why we talked about her, because that would have been around the time that I took um, in, in college. It was like required for my major to take costuming. OK. Um, and that's like where I remember speaking about her. I think she won the Academy Award that year that I was in the class. Nice. Um see if I can find, um, you know, production designer here, because um, it's, that's certainly, you know, Fiona Crombie is the production designer on this film. And she's done, she did the uh, favorite, Emma Stone's previous Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress. Um, have you guys seen the favorite? No. Okay, she played, it's sort of, a, let's see, pre-Victorian, I think, is the era. Um, Emma Stone, it's a similar story, kind of, because, like, she becomes the scullery maid for the palace and works her way up to become one of the closest confidants of the queen of England and uh, is, you know, has this rivalry you know, with uh, the Queen's previous, you know, closest confidant. Ooh. So it's it's really interesting. Yeah, the fascinating interplay between um, Emma Stone, Rachel Weisz plays Lady Sarah, Olivia Coleman plays Queen Anne. It's a really good movie. Um, Nicholas Holt is in that. He's, he's from Mad Max Fury Road. Um, yeah, just lots of impressive artistry too. And... Um, you know, costumes and, and yeah, sets. the costumes, the costumes were so beautiful. And I loved kind of seeing like the other side of like, or like the inside of Cruella's mind, because like, when you know, um, all we know about her as like a villain from 101 Dalmatians is that she's a fashion designer, but you don't really get to see anything from her. 
um, other than she loves furs, which was the one thing I thought was kind of missing is she didn't, none of the things she did in this movie had furs. And I was like, I thought that was Cruella's whole thing is she loves fur. You have but, that moment where uh, the Baroness, uh, you know, almost fears that um, Cruella did skin her Dalmatians. You know, the Baroness, that's where we right. get sort of a Dalmatian connection where the Baroness owns three Dalmatians. And they're kidnapped by Cruella in, in a sort of minor act of villainy, I guess, from Cruella. Yeah. And that that was what I was like, oh, dang, like that's her first like Dalmatian coat thing. And then you find out that like it was fake. And I was like, well, if she can fake Dalmatian for what's the point of any of this? <laughs> I thought as soon as that was like the big reveal, I was like, oh, perfect. Like Hannah's going to love that she wasn't like murdering the big puppies after all. <laughs> Because, like, that would have, like, been the reason that Hannah would have boycotted this podcast. I was actually going to tell you, um, I literally thought to myself before I watched the movie, like, if I see animal abuse in this Disney movie, I'm going to lose my mind. Because I've just been, like, more nuts than ever about that. (laughs) I just was, like, not in the mood. Yeah, this, I don't remember if there was a scene involving dresses with furs they possibly avoided that entirely sort of like they didn't portray any smoking in this film Um, there's a brief allusion to smoking when Cruella asked for a light at the gala which is a sign of the times because I Cruella DeVille is just one of those characters where when you think of her that long red cigarette is the prop that you think of her with it's like the fur, the hair, the cigarette. That's all. That's it. You know, that could, you know, if they decided to continue this version of the character, they could maybe replace that cigarette holder with the dog whistle. You know, and maybe Cruella becomes, you know, a fan of dogs rather than the enemy of them in future. Yeah, that was definitely the vibe I got from this movie was like Cruella's very pro-dog. Like she's had a dog her whole life. The dogs literally save her all the time. And then it's like, but later in life, she really doesn't like dogs. <laughs> yeah. Like well, how did we get from point A to point B here? Yeah, the, the, of course, the original 101 Dalmatians came out in 1961. I was kind of surprised. I didn't realize it was realize it was immediately after um, the sleeping the, the film Sleeping Beauty from 1959. Uh, this was the immediate follow up to that, only two years apart. Um, I I don't think they had a film in 1960, an animated film, because these things take or they took a long time to make, of course. Um, and Cruella Deville was animated primarily by the same guy who did Maleficent, Mark Davis, uh, one of the nine old men of Disney <laughs> animation fame. Um, so, so some very, you know, obvious similarities there in terms of legacy. Um, but then, you know, Maleficent is portrayed in that film to be this unredeemable witch. She's the mistress of all evil. Uh, wasn't the second Maleficent film, though, called Male- uh, Maleficent 2 Mistress of Evil or something? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> I fell asleep watching that movie, so I couldn't tell you what it was about. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not meant to be like a totally um, 
you know, sincere moniker in those films because she is portrayed as ultimately sympathetic. Although I think in that second film, she does take something of a turn towards, um, you know, vengefulness. Um, and, and, but she does have a villain in that film as well with the, um, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer character that comes in. Um, so yeah, that seems to be the recurring theme is that there's always a bigger villain that we don't know about <laughs> that made exactly that made the current villains how they are. Today. I love that. Like yeah. Hannah is probably really familiar in Heather too. Like Into the Woods is sort of like a side look into certain fairy tales or whatever, kind of teaching you that like like happily ever after. Like it, there's more to it than that. So I love movies like this that encourage kids and adults to sort of explore. Like sure, that person might be acting bad, but like maybe there's a reason why not to justify it, but just to gain some empathy um, for other people's situations. Like you don't know whose mom just got pushed off a cliff. You don't know who just got murdered by Dalmatians. Like, I think it's a really important, like overarching theme to dig a little deeper when it comes to people and how quick we might be to judge them. So like, that's what's exciting about these villain stories for me, because it's like, what is a villain really besides the perception that they're a villain? Yeah, totally. It's the two sides to every story. And kind of going back to what Heather said before, like, you don't even get her whole connection. But you do see more of her upbringing and more of kind of what created that villainous streak, I guess, because when we first like, see her in her younger days, it's definitely more of a troublemaker. That's encouraged rather than like, a straight up like evil person. She gets all those black spots on her school record. <laughs> I I will say the funniest moment because I because I ended up watching it on Disney Plus with my friends, and we were joking like, okay, so what could possibly lead like what what could they make the backstory for why Cruella like hates Dalmatians? And he jokingly was like, "What did Dalmatians like kill her mom?" And then that's literally what happened in the movie. <laughs> We we're like, oh, so no. you're <laughs> saying that your friend writes for the Disney company? <laughs> I mean, he he wasn't wrong. I did, he didn't guess like the big twist at the end. So I'm glad they made it more than just like, oh, Dalmatians killed my mom. Like they explained it. <laughs> but my brother, we, we did laugh. Yeah, who often does the podcast, but um, he still hasn't seen it. And I think he was sort of put off from watching this film just because of the clip of the scene of the Dalmatians <laughs> pushing Cruella's mom off a cliff, because that just seems like the most rote, like obvious thing you could put in a Cruella origin story. You're, you're right. It's, it's amazing that this film, you know, recovers from that scene in any yeah. sense. Cause I thought it was going to be like real kitschy the rest of the like movie after that, but then it, it, it got better. It did, it did better than I thought. Yes. It took paths I didn't expect it to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. We uh, follow Cruella, you know, as a kid and she's, you know, expelled from school. They're, they're moving to London where, you know, she'll be more you know, free to pursue her dreams, potentially also um, able to get some money from the, the Baron um, slash Baroness uh, <laughs> when 
course, we'll we'll get into some minor spoilers here as well. Maybe ma- major spoilers if we get around to it. Um, but uh, of course, do we have a name for Cruella's mom, um, Kath- Catherine Emily Beecham as Catherine? I think her name was Catherine. Yeah, um, you know, she she gets killed in an unfortunate accident. Um, Cruella sort of blames herself because she, you know she's um, there's this fashion gala you know fashion exhibition going on at this mansion um and she causes a stir and the uh dalmatians go chasing after her dog buddy was the the dog's name correct uh i'm not Uh, i think so and then the little chihuahua is wink that's right and he's my favorite character (laughs) yes um and then she ends up in london and meets up with these two kids you know jasper and horace from the original animated film um jasper is played by joel fry um he must have some sort of music background based on the like the rock and roll scene that comes in later i would think and um yeah i'm trying to see if he's been anything i recognize um well that's not going to help me clicking on the character as opposed to the, uh, the actor. <laughs> he was in the movie 10,000 BC. I know. And uh, the movie yesterday um, is a character, Rocky. He's in game of Thrones. Um, and then Paul Walter Hauser, who's had sort of a career surge lately with um, that, that uh, Clint Eastwood film. Um he was in Cobra Kai. What was the Clint Eastwood movie he was in called? Um, Richard Jewell. Um, he's in a bunch of stuff. But yeah, these I, I was surprised at the role that these characters took. And I was I kind of rolled my eyes. It's like, oh, Jasper and Horace. We, you know, we recognize those names from the previous 101 Dalmatians films. It's, it's the meme of Leonardo DiCaprio pointing his finger at the TV screen, you know. <laughs> But I don't know. I, did you guys feel like these characters um, played a meaningful role in this film? Um, I liked yeah. Jasper and Horace more than I liked Anita and Roger. Okay, yeah, those those characters. I felt were... like they were just kind of a name drop, and it didn't really make sense. They were like later. Drop. I was. Like, like later in the movie, it didn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if you're going to put them in there, like milk it a little bit and like make it more relevant. Cause I agree with Heather. I was sort of waiting for something to like spin towards them and make them more important to the storyline. But it's kind of like Roger, that's it. <laughs> but I, I do like her, like, uh, whore, like her stepbrothers or whatever you'd call them, her, those two guys. Uh, but I didn't like that they aged like 50 years from being kids and she aged like 20 years. Like, I don't know. if it's just... Yeah. And especially because in the Glenn Close one, like she's way older than. Right. Them. I thought it was a little strange because I was like, here's the thing. Like, it's just like not fair that like women have to stay looking young forever, like in the movies. And like these guys got to get like old and fat and grow a beard. And like Emma still looks literally like a 19 year old. So like explain <laughs> it to me. But But I thought they were fun and I liked that they had a depth to their friendship and sometimes it's hard when you have like a bestie like no one in this room but like if you have a bestie that's like going down a bad like path and you're like uh I love you and I support you but like I don't really know how long I can like love you and support you if you're gonna be like 
tearing the world apart and like ripping up you know all the things that are good and so I thought that was like a good little like subplot to follow along with and kind of where he would draw the line and where you should stand as a friend if you know that they're like quite literally going insane yeah they definitely added to the like family value aspect because like every time Cruella like calls them her family and they like shows like she's not alone um I really like that aspect of them other times in the movie they were just there for comic relief um but they did there was ultimately a side plot with them more so Jasper than Horace Horace didn't really provide too too much other than comic relief but them and then um the other character was his name Artie yeah okay i really wish they dove more into like her relationship with him i know he's not obviously from like he's not a name we recognize but um i really liked his character and thought they kind of dove more into the relationship with him as well but i actually thought anita would have a way bigger role in this movie like i thought it would be more of a those two if they're anything as like a supporting character But I guess she's kind of like who we knew from before, you know? I found it odd that they made Anita like Cruella's childhood friend. Then she like came back in touch with and like she like helped her do all the things she was doing, all the fashion stuff. Um, Again, coming back to my only qualm with the movie that there were a lot of loose ends that they didn't tie up. Because ultimately, in like in 101 Dalmatians, like Cruella is horribly, horribly rude to Anita. <laughs> like yeah. she's awful right. to her. And I'm like, why did you make her like her only friend? <laughs> she's like this crazy, vain, you know, conceited, does fashion design. Kind of like how the Baroness elaborates a little further on why she is the way she is in this film, where she views everyone as kind of a threat and a shark who's out, out to get her. And uh, yeah, so she's just got this very predatory nature about her and, and sort of that helps inform, um, I think the original conception of the Cruella de Vil character as this you know, symbol for greed and vanity. Um, and this you know, has its origins back to the 1956 children's novel by Dodie Smith. Um, even in that novel, um, Cruella is described as having the classic um, bifurcated hairstyle, black and white down the middle. Um, and yeah, I mean, she's obsessed with you know the furs, and, and is just this nasty character who, like, yeah, if if there's someone willing to massacre puppies for uh, just <laughs> for, for this the pleasure of wearing their coats, you know, there is really no redeeming that character no, in the eyes of an audience. Started, so. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. and, and the reason why puppies is because like if the adult dogs have fur, that's too coarse so that you want to get them while they're young and soft. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, that's, so that's that was the big, that was the big jump. It's like everything Cruella does, like she does crazy stuff in this movie, but it's ultimately like, for revenge and it's all aimed at one person like she's not just out attacking random people um and how, how does she go from that to like i'm gonna kill innocent puppies and especially puppies that she literally gave to people <laughs> <laughs> so yeah my fan theory <laughs> yeah my, like i my sort of speculative theory which i don't hold to 
overly sincerely. I, I just more look at this film as kind of its own thing. But if you did want to want to tie it into like the pre-existing 101 Dalmatians mythos, um, you can maybe say like, oh, she she'll make a coat out of the because she is a still a little bit unhinged as a person, maybe um, despite being much more sympathetic in this incarnation. But like maybe once the Dalmatians are have grown old and have died, she keeps their coats as sort of like a form of pet taxidermy, <laughs> mm. um, which is messed up still, but like more humane if she's only keeping their coats um, uh, of like a dog who's died of natural causes or something. <laughs> but I, I don't think that's the intention for this character, for her to become this, you know, homicidal maniac later on. But maybe. Yeah. Know what else I loved? This is kind of off topic. I love that they didn't like try to like hustle up a little love interest for her just to like have a love interest in the movie because I feel like sometimes like they try to just like squeeze in one of those for fun and I like that they let her just be like her wild independent self I I didn't ever see the second Maleficent but I think she she had like a significant like love interest that made sense for the story but I was worried they were going to be like oh and now she has a crush on this person at the end and they're going to like have this like added in and I thought it was great that they didn't do that mm -hmm. I think yeah. more stories are like less reliant on that love interest because obviously like this has no nothing to really do with the plot but I just feel like heterosexual like love interest relationships are kind of like been there done that in like any type of story and so I just think that it's really interesting that we have these like independent women Elsa Cruella like all of these women are able to kind of hold their own and men too I guess um but without that love interest having to be a joke or a part to like make their story more interesting because now we've learned to be interesting without that and it's really a sign of the times yeah every time um Cruella and Jasper would have like a little alone moment together I was like oh no please don't like make this a thing and they never did so I was really happy about it I was like oh thank goodness <laughs> <laughs> yeah interesting I uh I wasn't necessarily expecting that to be a major factor however you know this movie is PG-13 I thought maybe there'd be some you know references to you know seduction or or manipulation you know through sex in some way uh like maybe with that you know she so it's interesting how you know these three um are able to survive as petty criminals on the street and they have their loft in this abandoned you know warehouse or factory wherever it is um it's uh you know, it's very noble that she then aspires to get a job at this um, department store. And she eventually does kind of works her way up there. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a very, you know, honorable thing she does um, to try to escape that, you know, that life of a criminal. Um, but then she has issues, you know, maintaining that job and run-ins with the boss. And I thought, you know, maybe in order to keep the job there that he would try to, you know, 
come on to her in some way, but that never happened. You know, thank goodness. No, no. Uh, but like the, there wasn't anything too like coarse or, or toothy, uh, you know, shall we say with this film, I I'm honestly kind of surprised that they gave it a PG 13. I wonder it if was the strobe mostly... lights. It was like the rock and roll, like edgy, like strobe lights, I'm sure. Or maybe the <laughs> yeah. like fake smoking. Well, well, there's no smoking. Well, that and like pushing somebody off a cliff and like trying to burn them uh, to death, you know, okay. like violence and <laughs> yeah. stuff. Maybe that. Yeah. I'm sure it was just. I'm sure it was just violence, like running, running a, yeah. tra- a garbage truck into a, a building. It's fine. Yeah, that that was straight from Terminator. Oh my wasn't gosh! <laughs> All of those like iconic moments where she's trying to overshadow her, like like Heather just said, like the big dump truck, and when she comes like flying on into all these like galas, like whipping her like new creations. I loved that whole sequence ending with the fashion show. Uh, I thought that was really really fun. Yeah, some fun montages. Um, yeah, the the dumpster couture uh sort of almost zoolander-esque when there's the whole joke about like the new trend being uh oh you know the hom- homeless people <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> um the, the street chic that they try to uh put into their um their exhibit exhibitions i i don't know my uh fashion world terminology too much i only saw that film once <laughs> but yeah it's it is interesting like these uh these artists these designers can be very cagey very catty um but that's that's a awful you know should we say uh stays what's the word stereotype as well i know that there's that film devil wears prada isn't that also the fashion industry yeah, that's what I yeah. thought. Oh, go ahead. No, that's okay. Jody, like she said earlier, um, lots of people were like comparing this, like on like Instagram or whatever. People would be like, "Oh, like it's just like Devil Wears Prada," which I don't really think it was, but I can see the comparison. Mm. I, I, you know, like the plot revolving around revenge. Here, you know, you got the threat and and like a scene of genuine tension where you're wondering if you know cruella is planning on killing um the baroness she's approaching the baroness from behind carrying this this blade that you know this little uh, stiletto blade and instead uses it to pickpocket the baroness and you know to, to yeah. grab her yeah it, the dog it turned there. into it turned into like way more of a heist movie than I expected. Yeah. Like it was like a, a, a good heist movie, like two or three times. Like there were like three or four different incidences where it was like, here's, here's them planning it. Here's them executing it. And like, here's the things that happened behind the scenes that we didn't know about that made it successful. Like that happened like two or three times. And like, I, I love heist movies. So I was all about it, but it was not the turn I expected it to take like from a fashion film. So that was would- definitely an interesting take. Yeah, I was waiting for the music going dun 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 when they were like when they were infiltrating some of these parties and like dropping the mice and like doing all these little things. But they really, really filled this movie up with so many scenes that were full scenes. With all the licensed music in this film too, 
they they could have <laughs> probably grabbed the Mission Impossible theme. And my dad loved the music. With. My dad loved the music. They had such a good collection of like classic rock and I can't really remember the list of songs that were in there, but it seemed like every scene had something recognizable that just made it kind of go over the top uh, dramatically. And, and like we said before, all those other descriptive words, glam, bold, yeah. wild. Atmospheric for the really selling the, you know, this 1970s vibe. Um, yeah, they, no, and not all the songs, you know, there was that use of uh, the clash, you know, should I say stay or should I go, which was released in the 80s, but um, still fit kind of the, the tone of the film. So it's okay to get away with some anachronisms when used um, appropriately. It's kind of nice that they didn't do like a you know, total modern pop soundtrack. I mean, honestly, I I much prefer the the classic, uh, to you know choices that they made here, because um, they could have, you know, sometimes they'll do that, just use contemporary pop in in a vintage setting, and um, yeah, it's kind of like the Moulin Rouge thing. But I'm glad they didn't do that here. <laughs> So did anyone kind of like as they are watching this and comparing it to other live actions or other like backstories, did you feel like this one was like better, like they're getting better and better at these backstories? Or do you feel like it was kind of just like on the same vein? Like, do you think it stood out at all for better or worse? Um, I think it stood out just in the fact that most of the live actions we've seen um, have just been remakes. And so, like, we already know the story, whereas, like, no, we don't know the backstory of Cruella. Um, and they took, like, a totally different, like, take on it. And so I liked it in that aspect. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen next. So there was, like, twists and turns that I didn't expect, um, which I feel like all the other live actions, minus, like, Dumbo, because Dumbo kind of took its own path, um, pretty much, like, keep to the same story structure so you know what's going to happen. Um, and so then you're just, like, comparing it the whole time whereas this there wasn't really anything to compare it to um other than just like how it compares to Cruella as a character you know now but since it's her origin story like that doesn't have to match up um so I liked that and I wouldn't mind if we got more live actions that tell stories that haven't already been told um just for the sheer aspect that you're not just constantly comparing it to the animated one yeah I think that's great too, to like have that new um, take on a story. And I love more to the story because there's always more than one side and more than one thing that leads to it. And stories can always be like expanded. I think sometimes like in sequels, it doesn't always work out, but if it's more of like an origin story, I think it has a better chance of working out. Um, and I, I think that if they do it more in the way that they did Maleficent versus this movie, where it was a little more intertwined, that would be better. Um, and truly the 101 Dalmatians that I know there is the animated one, obviously, but the one with Glenn Close was essentially the live action of that. So they didn't need to do that again. Yeah. So they almost couldn't do that way. And they had to do this way, especially because that version is so well-loved. Um, I don't I really don't think that it would have been necessary but if you think about it like 
not to knock Disney, obviously, but truly a lot of Disney movies aren't Disney's stories. Like most of them are Hans Christian Andersen stories, at least the princesses anyways. So it's, it's refreshing when Disney has their own story to tell, which is happening more and more because they're running out of the old ones. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like they just took... Um, like they took Cruella as a character and they were like, let's just make a movie specifically about her and like her origin story, but they didn't necessarily feel the need to tie it in. I mean, they definitely did have the tie-ins with like Roger and Anita and stuff, but ultimately those things weren't necessarily needed um, for the story. Um, and I kind of like that they just like took from an already like popular idea, but made a whole new thing out of it. Yeah. Um, Cause that's going to get the audiences and people to want to go see it. Um, but it keeps it interesting and not something we've already seen a million times. And then you don't have the aspect of like any time a book or an older movie is a new movie. People are like, well, the new movie forgot this part and then the acting wasn't exactly the same. And it's like, just watch the old one if that's what you want to watch. But mm -hmm. um, I think this, it made it forced so the audience could make those comparisons. And I also don't think the Roger Anita thing was like, necessary for the plot in this but at least they tried i guess yeah yeah so i yeah it's best to just go in to this without that you know preconception of cruella from either the 1961 or the 1996 film because yeah it's, it is interesting because the whole live action adaptation of a disney animated film has been just such a you know, rampant um, phenomenon lately, you know, in, in our current age. However, it sort of began with that 1996 film. If I'm not mistaken, that's like the first ever live action film that's, that shares its name with the pre-existing animated film from Disney. It, it had a sequel too, right? Yeah, it did. 102 Dalmatians. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah also I, I think i remember that one more than the first one honestly yeah, yeah that was popular uh home video choice i'm sure that one had like a talking bird in it too which was i just remember cruella in the insane asylum <laughs> and her hair starts like poking out oh my gosh i want to rewatch that one now but i i had actually forgotten right that I, hand I, ho I hope it's on disney plus i'm gonna go watch it tonight i'll watch both of them yeah roger and anita weren't in that one um, but that one was all about the puppies yeah uh, i i know there's a, a dog named dipstick which i think was one of the original yeah. puppies but it, you know his owner in this um you know, 102 Dalmatians film. It's just some, some all new character. Uh, so uh, who knows, you know, what kind of connections. <laughs> are I think that was actually a pretty good sequel. Yeah. I, I, all I have is fond memories of it. Like I really want to go back and watch it now. So <laughs> we'll like see. That, I can, I'll tell you after I rewatch it. <laughs> and um, that one and the Cinderella with Anastasia and the Baker, I think it's called Cinderella 2 a twist in time or something That's like the third that. one three it's the third one mm -hmm. yeah the third one's good second one's garbage yeah <laughs> okay. they were like that is like my other like favorite disney sequel and she's actually like my least favorite disney princess so i actually like 
this is nuts and I know everyone's gonna be like that's nuts but I like that one better than like the original Cinderella movie like it's so and Prince Charming like jumps out the window it's great (laughs) yeah it's classic just remember in 102 Dalmatians, Glenn Close gets turned into a cake. Like there's this crazy Rube Goldberg. Yes, oh my God. Yeah. That could so. have been fun to hint at. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't like to imagine Emma Stone's Cruella becoming the uh, Glenn Close version. And of course, like the Jeff Daniels, Roger, you know, he's like a computer programmer in that film and, you know, he's married to, or, and Jolie um, Richardson plays Anita in that film. So, I mean, it's it's a different universe, ultimately. Uh, the car is pretty much the same. I think the color scheme is inverted. So, like, the the white mm-hmm. accents are black and, you know, the, the alternate version, vice versa. Um, <laughs> I think they kind of had to keep the car because that's also pretty iconic, Cruella. Literally how she gets her name. <laughs> Yeah, like her wild driving. Mm-hmm. That car is called a Panther DeVille. There were only 60 ever made. It's like this crazy expensive, you know, exclusive car. <laughs> it's amazing. And, and they steal two of them in this film. So that's a bit fantastical. Horace and Jasper getting on it, man. They know what they're doing. They're pros. <laughs> they just printed the list of everyone that got the car. And then they went for the it. same way they got people's sizes of clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How did they get that? So <laughs> well, you really had to suspend suspend belief at some points. There, like, there's, uh, like uh, where did Corella get all these fancy fabrics? Like, I thought they were like broke. Like, where did she get all of this stuff to make all these clothes? As much as the setting felt grounded in this film for it being a period piece yeah there's a lot of magical realism that goes into the plot <laughs> and like the teleporting dog when Cruella's first ascending that factory to get to the hideout um, I love the fact that like they jump through a hole in the roof onto the stack of mattresses uh, but the fact that her dog is able to follow her up there is <laughs> just makes no sense my dog would do it. My dog would do anything for me. <laughs> Maybe he found a way. Yeah. I just want a dog like Wink. Oh, I love that Chihuahua. Every time yeah. he came on screen, I squealed. I was so excited about uh, that Chihuahua. <laughs> Even though he was CGI, it was fine. You want to know a little like side story, 100 Dalmatian theme style? Uh, like after the original animated movie came out, like everybody got on these super long waiting lists, like begging and pleading to get Dalmatian puppies. So there was a surge of people who like got Dalmatian puppies, Uh but they're actually like not a very good family dog. Like they're actually more of like a hunting dog, a protective Mm. energetic dog. So like five years later, like all of the, um, shelters were like booming with these five-year-old Dalmatian dogs and like no one would take them because it was like people thought from the movie like oh my god Dalmatians like love cute like stylish but then five years after the movie there's like this big surge of like wait a second these dogs are not for families like they're kind of vicious that's what happened with um the fish whatever type of fish it is that looks like Dory from Finding Nemo and I think now it's like it was at least like um becoming like an endangered species because people like the blue tang right yeah, yes. it was something like that. And it's supposed to be like a really hard to take care of tropical fish. And people were giving it to like their five year olds. Um, We actually had 
I remember it as a real Dalmatian, but I think it might have been like a knockoff Dalmatian, but I'm pretty sure it was a regular Dalmatian. I don't know. When I was little, <laughs> <ill>, um, <laughs> I was like literally like six when it died. Brand, um, brand name dog. Yeah, like I don't know. Um, and my parents totally are those people that would have like scammed me into thinking it was a different type of dog. Um, but I had a dog that I think is a Dalmatian um, and its name was Lucky. And it died when we were at Disney World. Like it was oh my grandparents oh, no. and they, my grandparents like live on like a lake with like a bunch of land and they, um, everyone told me that my dog ate a poisonous lily pad, but it actually just drank antifreeze. Like it got oh. into their garage. Yeah. It was crazy. Oh. Um, and then I thought, <laughs> this is so dumb. I thought the lucky song by Britney Spears was like, because my dog died. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> whatever I mean, so, yeah it was your your perspective at that time at least it was a source of consolation so it's always my favorite song yeah. yeah Brittany like knew my dog that was literally like what I like believed in my whole heart as like a kindergartner or whatever <laughs> yeah. yeah I uh I, I was maybe expecting this to be somewhat of a let's see the film Joker was released in 2019 this movie was filmed from August 2019 to November 2019. I, you know, Joker was such a phenomenon. Um, it was, you know, wasn't as budget heavy as other, you know, DC films. Um, it's more stripped down, personal, um, but you know, grossed a billion dollars. Um, so. I feel like this is maybe almost following in, you know, that style as well. Like this period drama about a character people recognize and maybe serves as a bit of a psychoanalytical um, introspective piece. Um, but it was less focused on, I think, the psychology of Cruella than it was on on the you know conflict between her and the baroness and her struggles with wanting revenge more so than just with like her you know insecurity with herself perhaps um so i i would have maybe appreciated a bit more of uh you know the, the psychoanalytical approach to be honest especially with like the hair being like this symbol for like uh you know, maybe a bipolar personality. Um, but yeah, it wasn't quite that. Um, yeah. From the beginning when um, her like mom's talking to her as a kid and is like, don't let Cruella come out. I kind of thought that was going to be like a path they were going to take with it and be like, she like constantly struggles with like having to do the right thing rather than like being kind of unhinged. Mm -hmm. But it, it's it pretty much became where like she chose when to be good and bad like she's like okay i want to get yeah. revenge on this lady so now i'm cruella like so it wasn't really a struggle yeah of like being cruella or being estella like her actual name mm -hmm. um it was just like a choice so but i mean it's also disney so i didn't ex I, I don't know why i would have expected them to get too too dark with it if any other studio had it they definitely could have gone like the joker route and like gone like this is how this woman became like unhinged um but they kept it pretty pretty light for the most part like she more got justice than revenge like because she didn't like 
hurt the woman at all and like all she did was expose her so it was her own fault ultimately (laughs) um you guys my mom just confirmed it was a lie the dog was a german short-haired pointer (laughs) (laughs) but like brand off brand i'm the most gullible kid so like i was just like oh okay guys (laughs) like i didn't know Hey, at least it was still like a like a for real dog breed and not just like some dog they found at the pound like oh my gosh my um my family is always like they try to get the dogs that are like old and like need help but I think we got lucky as like a a puppy like right after I was born so I don't actually know Hmm. um yeah my dad also had a Saint Bernard when he was little named Bernard like (laughs) oh Dalmatians are so pretty. I mean, it's it's a shame if they are typically, you know, difficult uh, and and sort of fit. I don't know. I think they're just the very energetic. Yeah. They need like a lot of exercise and attention, and most most families and people just can't really give dogs that. So that's the thing. Like when people get puppies at Christmas, and then by Easter, like the dog is like like the pounds are all full and like mm. all of these like animal allies and whoever are all like begging for people to like rescue these dogs because when you have a puppy it's cute for five seconds and then it cries through the night and they need to train and they need to like learn how to go to the bathroom and it's like you have to dedicate like six months mm-hmm. just to like be home with the dog and then even then it's all about how you train them yeah I, i'm sure there's just such a wide variance and in- Mm-hmm. any type oh, of dog sure. food. like the breeds yeah. and stuff yeah so i'm sure there's some wonderfully delightful dalmatians out there that um <laughs> you know great with all kids the dalmatian all that. owners are gonna be like reporting the podcast <laughs> <laughs> no i i just i haven't interacted with too many dalmatians unfortunately which i, I wish i had because they're such cool dogs but um we, we've never owned one and I haven't had any bad experiences with Dalmatian. Yeah, um, I don't know any anything else really you want to discuss related to Cruella. Uh, do you think this was setting up for a sequel, or you know, do you think I it'll think perform so. well? <laughs> I think it'll perform well. Yeah, I feel like if they did do a sequel, it would just be like it would just have to be another like fashion movie, like her in competition with somebody else. And that would just be kind of repetitive. Yeah. Um, unless they're, done. yeah. Cause the only other thing they could do would be live action 101 Dalmatians, which has already been done. So, and that I've, I really don't see how they can lead into that from what they gave us in this. Cause that would just be a full like 360. So. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah. Jody, uh, you, you think this will resonate with, you know, adults and kids alike? Maybe not so much kids, like definitely like our age group, the millennials are going to like it. But when we like things, the younger kids like things. And if nothing else, it just like brings more awareness back to this character because probably a lot of little kids haven't even seen 101 Dalmatians. So maybe their parents, our age as parents are going to be like, oh my gosh, we should rewatch that. That's what we just did. Yeah. (laughs) I think it did. Well, oh, I have I have a good question. Okay. What uh, what villain do you think you guys would like to see uh, the next live action backstory oh. to be about? I need a minute to think. Someone else go first. <laughs> oh, Gaston. No, <laughs> I mean they've yeah. had the live action. Actually, Gaston yeah. would be kind of fun. I think Ursula would be really fun because there's a lot to that story there of like Triton and Ursula 
and I forget her name, Morgana is supposed to be like a sibling, even though I don't think they would include her. I think Ursula would be a backstory that would be easily done, but I think Jafar would be fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what I would pick. I would pick Hans, like going back to his childhood with like his 12 brothers. And I would like mm-hmm. it to be that he actually never planned to entrap Elsa or Anna. And it turned out that that was actually like his brothers, like manipulating him in some way. And that he really was just like this neglected, like 12th child of this relationship. Like I would, I- I'll be picking Hans. I was going to pick Ursula, but Hans would be fun or Scar. I, sorry, yeah. I didn't even think of Scar. I think Frozen 3 should consider having a subplot uh, involving Hans and his possible redemption. I don't know. Kids really remember him. He's like a memorable uh, villain considering he had that main They hated guts. Their favorite guts. part is when he gets punched in the face. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I, they I, they I tell me that all the time. I think it would be <laughs> successful to bring him back in some capacity, I think. I think that'd be fun. I think that's probably the only way to do Frozen 3, you know, to justify its existence with audiences. Um, Wait, that, Heather pick. Me, um, I would I would probably pick Ursula or Scar, yeah. My, my first thought was Ursula, just because, like, there's, like, literally in the animation, they give a little bit of backstory, like, that there's something there between Ursula and Triton, like, I, w- I want to know what it is. <laughs> Yeah, especially with the live action Little Mermaid like coming, I think Ursula is kind of like oh. the no brainer. It makes me, I don't know if you guys ever watched Once Upon a Time, but it makes me think of how they gave like the villain backstories like in Once Upon a Time a lot. They even, Cruella had a backstory in Once Upon a Time too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved all of those backstories, right. but I'm a sucker for that show. So it just brings me back to like watching uh, that show and like all of the villain backstories there. Yeah, she was really nasty in that show, right? Uh, oh, yeah, it was yeah. just like, Cruella was just like, literally always horrible. That was her backstory yeah. was like, she would like manipulate people from like being a teenager. Like she was just always crazy. So, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not necessarily interested in a guest, uh, a guest on backstory because I think they would try to make him a bit more sympathetic. I think if they do this again, and if I'm going to be interested in it, I want the character to actually be bad <laughs> the whole way through and not but are people up. born bad or are they made bad what whether right. they are people right. born wicked or is their wickedness thrust upon them is the line i, I just Good don't news. want them i want them to end up no no I, I just want them to be bad at the end so that they can sort of be reconciled with their pre-existing you know animated counterpart rather than this sort of alternate universe where these characters are nothing that's people's like biggest issues with these movies like i know that was a big thing with maleficent is people were like no i liked that maleficent was evil and y'all made her soft Mm -hmm. and now people are gonna be like no that's not like cruella's cruella's like very unhinged and this woman like just got a happily ever after so yeah, give us the Breaking Bad version of like Facilier from. Oh, that'd be a good one too. Princess and the Frog. Yeah, I would Mother Gothel. Ooh, Mother oh. Gothel would be a good one. Yeah, and like, why was she so scared to age? Like, is she like that lady who would bathe in blood? <laughs> from Germany, that lady from Germany. She was like a true person that didn't want to go old. But also, you guys are forgetting the Queen of Hearts, who is like a jolly good time. Like, what was her big story? I think that um, 
I think the Queen of Hearts, the evil queen from Snow White or Ursula are kind of the only ones that I think would be in the running right now. I don't know. Just yeah. because they they've gotten some hype lately. Hmm. Like those it, stories have been revamped the most recently. Well, it, and it's kind of like you want to know like what would lead someone to like do the things they do whereas like Gaston like he's literally just vain and gets everything he wants all the time. Like yeah, so I I really so predictable. Yeah, like everyone's met someone like guest yeah. on like it's not hard to imagine what made him like that exactly. whereas like maleficent who is like this unredeemable witch like uh, trying to figure out what led her to that like is a little bit more interesting in the story so and i think the same with like cinderella's stepmother um lady tremaine i think is also like decently predictable mm-hmm. so, like, the ones they- that are like less predictable they did a little bit of backstory on her during the cinderella 2000 2000- 15 or whatever that one came out yeah and i think that they like referenced like her previous marriage being like detrimental to her heart and how she like realized that like falling in love is like the biggest scam of all and like (laughs) after losing her first husband like she was going to be a cold-hearted d-i-t-c-h uh for the future (laughs) like i think there was some little reference to that but yeah i i agree she was very meddlesome and of course wonderfully portrayed by kate blanchett i i really love that character from from that film uh, and that portrayal um yeah this we'll we'll see what they have in store we've got the live action little mermaid film on the horizon um, so we'll be getting at least some version of of uh, ursula but an i guess a prequel set in atlantica might be kind of cool who, is, who isn't it melissa mccarthy yes yeah oh mm. <laughs> yeah, that, oh yeah and this and the live action little mermaid yeah mm. not not looking forward as much to that i'm looking forward to the little mermaid but not not really her <laughs> i wish they would have cast like a real drag queen like they could have cast so many good drag like stars you know and it would be so cool. Yeah, I don't know. To well, have um, someone do drag. I, we'll see. Like, because they have a tendency to do things that are predictable, but just with slight twists applied to to these um, kind of different iterations. And I don't know. Yeah, these this like portraying these very evil characters in their original conception as sympathetic, kind of sits weirdly with me especially when you have young kids who are watching these animated characters and then like juxtaposing them against these live action versions now that are a lot more justified in their behavior um but you know i that's just something that people have to get past um and then also like these villains the the cartoon villains are celebrated uh, unequivocally by audiences and fans you know around the world in parks on merchandise so they've already gone on to have a life of their own as these icons that are that are celebrated and adored by people so i guess portraying them and the villains on halloween is the best part yeah so so we already have sort of this this um you know weird um contrast the sort of ironic you know we we love to hate these people 
Um, <laughs> anyways, I yeah, thank you so much. A any final thoughts um, on Cruella? My final thoughts is more of this. Like, if you're going to recycle content, I, I like the fresh new take, but don't forget to include some of the OG content to make it, you know, still the original in a little way. But I loved it. And if anyone hasn't seen it yet, it's worth it's worth it to rent a, or head to a theater if you're vaccinated because it's a good one. Yeah. Oh, um, I'll just throw this out. The the fantastical outfits. There were like three that I noticed in this film. The yeah, the fire dress, and then the bug dress, and then the the parachute skirt. So that was kind of a a nice trifecta of of these sort of magical pieces of clothing that she designs. Um, I don't know if there were any others that sort of fit in that trilogy. Um, but I thought I thought that was kind of cool how those were represented different beats throughout the story. Yes, uh, I think it's pretty good. I was pleasantly surprised with Emma Stone. Um, yeah, and I think I think it's a good movie. Like I think it did pretty good at the box office, looking at like what I looked at, and it seemed to be um, pretty good. I think it will stand its ground. And I, I think Disney villains like now with Maleficent and Cruella, um, we've kind of been taught that they can really hold their own. Heather, well, are, are you going to cosplay as Cruella? That's what I was going to say. <laughs> um, I said, now everyone needs to follow Heather on TikTok for the big Cruella content coming through. Oh gosh, probably not. I don't I, even have my own Cruella cosplay. I wore a friend for the one time I did cosplay her and it was really fun. Um, but it was obviously classic Cruella, like, and I was drawing inspiration from the Cruella at the parks for how I did, like, my makeup and stuff, which is not, like, Cruella looked good, like, in this whole film. Like, her mm -hmm. eyebrows weren't all crazy. Like, like, she, her makeup looked really good. They I was need like, okay, to let Cruella. Cruella at the parks do a little bit of this eyebrow. Yeah. So, um, but I, I don't know if I'll cosplay like Cruella or not. I feel like the costumes are really, really really intricate mm -hmm. and there are just other characters that I would probably do before I got to trying to conquer all the intricacies of her stuff but her makeup looks are bomb so all right well this was an interesting film about a sort of a paradoxical character um an unredeemable character from you know especially I think the cart you know the original I don't know, but a fascinating one nonetheless. Um, you know, the live action films with Glenn Close tried to, um, she, she almost turned good in that second film, but then turned bad again. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, now we have Emma Stone, who's like this uh, anti-hero who um, could go on to, to be a future heroine in, in future films, um, but we'll see. Uh, she kind of leans into that devil aesthetic at the end. We'll be returned to Hell Hall. Um, well, I don't know. Do, does anyone want to plug their social media for the audience? Like, uh, I'd like to plug Heather's social yeah, media. Don't follow us. Like, follow Heather, please. Like, <laughs> follow at Southern Rose Cosplay, and you <laughs> will see the cosplays. <laughs> Jody and I do not cosplay, but we are glad to be here. <laughs> But honestly, like, Heather is very cool. She has, like, the face of Taylor Swift, but, like, the talent has, like, all the characters. So, like, follow her. Yeah. But, like, if you want to follow me, too, it is at 
Gilby Pulaski, like all the other episodes that she should have been listening to. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'll see you next time on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, you already follow us. So follow at Southern Rose Cosplay <laughs> and on TikTok. That's T I K T O K. TikTok. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Heather, I, I, I guess you're getting, um, you know, <laughs> so, some uh, sponsorships here by other. They are not paid, I promise. Thank you for the recommendations. Um, yeah, I cosplay mostly Disney characters. So if people like Disney animation, that's mostly what I cosplay. Uh... So. I don't think she knows what the podcast is about. Disney animation. (laughs) For conversations about animation. Yeah, we love Disney animation here on the show. And of course, yeah, there is no overstating how tremendous uh, Heather is in the cosplay world. So go follow her on social media. So thank you, Heather. (laughs) Um, Thank you, Heather Cosplay Coin. Thank you, Heather. Southern Southern Rose. Southern Rose. <laughs> That's right. Southern Southern Rose cosplay. Um, I'll I'll have a link in the. <laughs> We've said it so many times. <laughs> Sorry. No, thank you so much. I, I hope to have you back, Heather. It was wonderful. Um, yeah, seeing you and, um, yeah, it's been cool to reconnect the four of us here. First time since um, D twenty three. All right. Well. Um, Oh, and follow the podcast. Yeah, for the podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Hannah, Jody, as always, and Heather. And thank you, the listener. Um, This has been our discussion on Cruella. I'm Philip, Philip Elke. You can follow me at Philip Elke on Twitter and Instagram. Follow the podcast at podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You know, we're on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you know, various podcasting platforms and streaming services. So, um, yeah, check us out, leave a review, and uh, we'll be back with some more conversations about animation. You all have a magical day, a wonderful week. Warm hugs. Warm hugs.